Good morning. How are we doing this morning? You guys ready for the word? All right, let's get into it. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can head over to 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1. We'll get there in a moment. My name is Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege to unpack and study with you and for you the word of God. Uh, my prayer is that God would speak and, and nothing else, and so we'll um, allow him to do that. Let me start this way, though. Some social scientists uh, did uh, an experiment uh, that has been reproduced and redone in many different iterations over the years. They called it the vision test, and um, they had these two slides. And on one slide, it had this one line, and on slide two, it had these three lines. And, and they asked people, they brought groups of people in, they just asked them a simple question, which line on slide number two is the same length or the same height as the one on slide uh, number three, or which slide, did I say that right? <laughs> which, no, let me try again. Which line on slide number one is, there's no slide number three, so it's a big trick question, kidding. Uh, which line on slide number Two is the same as the line on slide number one. And so it's not a trick question. Uh, so you're already probably playing tricks in your mind about, oh, it's next to it. It must be the, the one that's not obvious. It was actually obvious that this is line number two. That line number two is the same length as line number one. It was, it was obvious, but not, but not too obvious, but they did this experiment. Now, this wasn't a, a vision experiment. This was a social experiment. And so what they did was they would have uh, groups of people come in to answer this question. Very simple. Which one is the same in, in slide number two as the, the line slide number one? And what they would do is they would have one person in each group that is actually taking the test. They don't know what's going on. They're just in there to answer the question. Everybody else in the group was a plant. They were a part of the experiment. They were actors. Okay, you tracking with me so far? And so the one person who was in each experiment that was legit taking the test and didn't know what was going on, we'll call him Curly, okay? Everybody say Curly. Curly. So Curly was in there trying to get the right answer. And all the actors that are in each group that are, that are saying the wrong answer, um, we'll call them Mo. okay? Everybody say Mo. So we got one Curly, we got a bunch of Moe's. Okay, so first they just put the curlies in there, just one at a time, and they said, which one is it? And everybody said two, it's line two, it's line two, it's line two, it's obviously line two. Then they got curly in with one other mo, with one mo, one actor, one real person, and I mean, I guess actors are real people, but you know what I'm saying. And so curly in a mo, and they asked mo first, what, what line is, what's the answer to this question? And, he, and that mo said it was number three, so it's number three, and so Almost every time when it was one mo and one curly, the curly stood up for what they believed in. They, they said, no, nah, it's line two. You're crazy. Like, it's line, it's obviously line two. Uh, but when you got a bunch of mo's in there, when you started to outnumber the curly with more mo's, when you had ten mo's to one curly, and they're all saying line three, line three, line three, line three, now curly at the end is going, oh, is it line two or not, you know? And so some of them, many of them, would follow suit, and they would, they would say it was line three. Then when they added even more people into this, these groups, when it was 50 mo's or 100 mo's against this one curly, and down the line they said it's obviously line three, it's obviously line three, it's obviously line three, then without fail, the curlies would all go with whatever they said. They would begin to follow these strangers, people they didn't know, they would begin to distrust their own eyes. They'd be going, man, I don't think I can see right. It was crazy. And I think something equally crazy is happening or happens in our world constantly, but it's about things much more important than the length of lines on a slide. In matters of right and wrong, because the masses are all saying it's this way, we, we begin to, to not trust our own eyes. We follow suit. It happens in the non-Christian world, outside of here, moral, reasonable people passionately defending a woman's right to kill the unborn child in her womb. It happens out there, right? But it also happens in here, in the church, among those who would call themselves Christ followers. Because there are so many people 
saying something different. We've been given the word of God. 2 Timothy 3 says that all of it is God-breathed. There's, there's not an expiration date on any of the word of God. We know the truth. We've been given it. We've been given the truth. And yet, because there are so many mo's out there and in here saying it's not true, the truth is no longer true, that, that it's not saying what it's saying, it doesn't mean what it means, then we're like curly. We don't know what's right. We see it clearly in Scripture, but then we're like, ah, maybe I'm off. Maybe I don't understand it. I mean, if all these people say it's okay, then it must be okay. I must have just misunderstood the truth. There are many things that this affects, right? Many topics and concepts and truths that a lot of us have given into, things that are clear in Scripture, but because of the volume of voices on the other side, is the, the volume of voices on the other side is so many and so large and so loud, and many of those voices are people that we care about most in our lives, right? People we love and we, we care about. Because of that, we have decided to go with the crowd and, and not trust our own eyes, not trust what we know is right. So it happens in a lot of areas. But I think the one we're going to talk about today is the one that, at least in our time, in our day, I see the most confusion and the most compromise about. A bunch of curlies following Moe's towards what they know is wrong. So we're in week five of a series we've called Redacted. And the idea is just like, just like a classified document is redacted after it's written. You get your hands on it, but it's got things taken out or things covered over in these thick, dark lines. So we have in our lives, the way we live our lives, we've redacted the word of God. And it's not like any of us are taking an actual Sharpie to the Word of God and marking things out. We're not Thomas Jefferson carving things out with a knife. We wouldn't rip pages out of the Bible. So the Bible you hold in your hands is not the redacted version, but the one you believe in your heart is. It's been redacted. It's been changed. You actually live by the, the one you actually live by and believe has some things missing in it. So... So far, we've looked at four biblical ideas that we tend to redact from the Bible in our hearts. So number one, we talked about Jesus being the only way to heaven, John 14, 6. Number two, hell is real. Number three, God desires relationship and not religion. And then number four, we, the church, we are God's answer for the hurting so if you missed any of those, you can catch up on iTunes or on our website. Today's is probably, when I set up the redacted series, today's is probably the one that is, that is maybe most contentious, the hottest one in our time right now. It's not the most important one in the list, but it's, it's the hottest one in our time right now. And so today, I want to try to unredact this biblical idea that God has a specific design for sex and sexuality. That God has a specific design for sex and sexuality. So, so you have your opinion on sex and sexuality. You have your experiences. Um, but we have the word of God. We, we have the word of God. So I'm going to show you, well, I'm going to try to show you what the word of God says about this. And if, if that makes you mad, if that makes you angry, don't, don't be angry at me, right? Be angry at the word of God, because all I'm going to try, what I'm going to try to do is, is just present what the Word of God says about this. And so I would love it if you would just stick around uh, in, this, in this sermon today and let, hear what I have to say, hear what the Word of God has to say, and then make, make your decision on, on where you fall on this. But what you're going to have to decide for yourself is, is the Bible really true? Like, is it the foundation I should build my life on and understand truth? It, because it, it's not me saying this stuff, it's the Bible. So there really are two pillars that we kind of have to agree on before we can even have this conversation. Two pillars that if you, that's holding this conversation, this di discussion up. Um, and if you don't degree, agree on these two pillars, it's going to be difficult uh, to even walk down this road with some like me. So first, the first pillar is that the Bible is God's word and all of it is true. So pillar number one, the Bible is God's word and all of it is 
true. We've talked about that idea every week in this series. Pillar number one. The, the second is that every command of God to us is for our good. So pillar number one, the Bible's true. Pillar number two, every command that God has given us is for our good. So if you don't believe those two things, then it will be hard to have this discussion. And if you think you believe those two things, but in the end today, you're still disagreeing or you're still angry or whatever, then you'll have to circle back around to this moment, pillar one and pillar two, and go, do I really believe it? Do I really believe pillar one and pillar two? So I'm going to give you five biblical truths related to sex and sexuality that we tend to redact in our culture today. So we're curly, and we're looking at the line, and we're going, we know what's true. We've been given the word of God, but there's tons of mo's all saying, no, it's line number three, it's line number three, it's line number three, when we know it's line number two. So we don't trust our own eyes. So five truths I'm going to give you. Let me start with this one. Biblical truth number one. God's design for sex and sexuality is marriage. One man, one woman, one time. God's design for sex and sexuality is marriage. One man, one woman, one time. Now, the three ways that I see this most attacked in our culture, this biblical design for sex and sexuality being marriage, the three ways I see this most attacked in our culture is one, divorce and remarriage. That's one. Two, adultery or sexual sin, heterosexual sin. Okay, cheating, um, sex outside of marriage, before, during, after, whatever. So, so that's, that's the way I see that. Number three is homosexuality. So number one, divorce and remarriage. Number two is really about lust. And number three is homosexuality. Those are the three ways that we see the world attacking this biblical idea that God's design for sex and sexuality is marriage. And so the world's design for sex and sexuality is one man, one woman, multiple times. In other words, divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage doesn't really matter. Or it's, it's marriage, it, they're saying marriage isn't, you don't even need to worry about marriage. Just live together, have sex with your boyfriend and girlfriend, and it's fine. There's no reason to even consider marriage. Or it's one man, one man, one woman, one woman. So those are kind of the three ways I see this going down in our culture. And, and with sites like Websites like, like Ashley Madison helping people have affairs and now people having divorce parties. We're not just falling to sexual sin in our culture. We're celebrating it, right? We are celebrating sexual sin in our culture. So all sexual sin is against God's design. But... I did a sermon dedicated to divorce and what the Bible says about that and a sermon dedicated to lust and what the Bible says about that in a series called Red Letters. How many of you remember that? Were you there? Okay, good. A lot of people raising your hands. Two victories there. One is that you were at the sermon. Two is that you weren't scared to raise your hand in church. So good job, everybody. Nailed that. Um, so I already did two sermons on that. They're online. You can grab the iTunes. You can grab it off of our website. If you missed it or you want to listen to it again. So two out of three I've already done. What I have not done in my tenure here is a message on what the Bible says about homosexuality. And so that is what I'm going to do today. Before I get into it, though, um, I have a resource to pass on to you. You can grab this on Amazon. It's called Holy Sexuality and the gospel. It deals with a lot of this. It's a great resource to have if you have kids, grandkids, ever are around any grandkids or kids or know somebody who has kids or grandkids. Okay, it's great. It's also good for you. Uh, if you're struggling with sexual sin, this is a great book for you. But if you know somebody who, who in your family is whatever, is, is living an unopenly gay lifestyle or what, and you're wondering, how do, I, how do I deal with this if I believe what the Bible says? This is a great book for you. And so grab it on Amazon. But I've got three copies to just toss out today. Does anybody want one of these? We've got a taker over here. That's great. Anybody else? I usually, I usually spread them out, so sorry, we had two hands over here. And we got fr some front row takers. I like it. If you're on the front row, you get books. Probably, you probably got like six books. Yeah. It's okay. I forget who I give it to, so it's fine. 
So grab that online, uh, and it is a great resource, a great resource. I'm not using any of the material today, so it'll be totally fresh uh, to you as you read that. So the next four truths, I said I'll give you five. The first one is that uh, God's design for, for sex and sexuality is marriage, one man, one woman, one time. The next four will come from 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1. So we'll just be taking them out of the scripture, using that as our basis. So biblical truth number two homosexuality is sin. Homosexuality is sin. So, so this, is, this is debated. This is questioned. People point to their own experience. Like, well, you know, they look so happy together. Um, they point to their own logic or the world's logic. Like, they can't, they can't help it, so it must not be sin. Or, or God is love, and they're obviously in love with each other, so he doesn't have a problem with this. But Listen, it's not logic or experience that defines truth. It's the word of God that defines truth. So it's not logic or experience. It's the word of God. And many times, any time I should say, the word of God, Jesus included, talks about sexual immorality, that phrase, sexual immorality, that includes homosexuality. So anytime you see that, that phrase in the Bible, it's including homosexuality. So sexual immorality is any sexual thin, I'm sorry, thought or action, any sexual thought or action outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, one time. So I'll give you two um, New Testament passages that call homosexual uh, homosexuality, I should say, sin by, by name, okay? So 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 6. Um, look at 1 Timothy 1 first, starting in uh, verse 7. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's warning Timothy um, about false teachers that are coming in and using the law of God to beat people up. And he, and he says this in verse 7. These people are desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Have you ever been around somebody like this? You're like, you don't know what you're talking about, but you keep talking. All right? So that, that's, what, that's what he's saying. These people are making these confident assertions, and their confidence doesn't equal knowledge, does it? So verse 8, he goes, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. And now he's going to list some sinful behaviors, some behaviors that he considers, that the Bible considers profane, ungodly, sinful. Okay, so, so that's what he's going to list. So he says, it, it, for the ungodly and the sinners, the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel. So to be clear, what this passage in the New Testament just said is that homosexuality is sin. It is contrary to sound doctrine. It doesn't line up with the truth of the gospel. That's what it just Said. So we'll come back to 1 Timothy 1 in a moment. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. The Apostle Paul again writing says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So he's going, Curly, don't listen to all the most. Don't be deceived by the volume of voices that are coming against us. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will enter or will inherit the kingdom of God. So there it is again, two passages that are hard to misunderstand. Homosexuality is sin. Those who practice homosexuality, men having sex with men, and I think this includes women having sex with women, will not inherit, the Bible says, the kingdom of God. This is, this is what God's word says. 
God's good word. God's word that he gave us for our joy and his glory. Because he set it up in a way that will work best. He has a design for sex and sexuality. One man, one woman, one time. And he knows that's what will get you the most joy and him the most glory. Because he created it all. This is what his good word says. Okay. So here's, here's the difficulty many of you have with this. You start out, if you're in church, if you're reading the Bible, if you grew up in church or whatever, you start out with a leaning towards the idea that homosexuality uh, is actually sin. And so it's something that should be avoided, not celebrated. And, and so that's your starting point. But then you're out in the world, you're watching, you know, the talking heads on TV, you're having a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you on this, or um, you're talking to a, a family member that you love and care for, and this statement gets thrown out as fact. Gay people are born that way, and they can't change. Or maybe, maybe the statement is more personalized. They go, I was born this way. I was born this way. I can't change. And the very terminology used in our culture is founded on this principle, right? It's sexual orientation, not sexual preference or sexual choice, but orientation, meaning that you are oriented from birth towards either men or women. And so this idea gets thrown out that it's genetics, that, that there's no way for me to change. And the next step in logic if, is for somebody to go, then, then how could a loving God Create people to, to live and have desires that he calls sin. How could a loving God create people stuck this way and call that sin? And it's a, it's a good argument, right? I mean, it's a good argument. And so a lot of Bible-believing, genuine, sincere Christians hear this and they go, Ah, it's a good point. A good point. How could how could he do that? How could he create you this way and, and then call that sin? How how could he do that? And then they go, Well, he wouldn't. My God wouldn't. He loves you too much. He wouldn't. So I guess I guess I was wrong. I guess homosexuality actually isn't sin because he created you this way. And they do the 180. And then this logic supersedes. The, the Bible, what the Bible says, in fact, this logic becomes the Sharpie marker that they use to redact the Bible, to redact passages out of the Bible they hold in their hearts, passages like 1 Timothy 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And they'll say things like, well, you know, I still believe the Bible, but the Bible was written to a certain cultural context, and sometimes the commands in the Bible aren't for us anymore, and, and so this is one of those times. Or uh, they'll say something like that. That's mainly an Old Testament thing. You don't have to worry about that, even though it's very clearly in the New Testament. And just to put that to bed a little bit, it doesn't matter. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament because, because the Bible says that all, all of God's word is is God breathed. And, and it all starts with this, the dominoes start with this, this idea that, that somebody is born this way and cannot change. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. So here's biblical truth number three. You are born in sin, but not stuck there. You are born in sin, but not Stuck there. Isn't that good news? You're born in sin, but you're not stuck there. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're born sinful. That's all over the Bible. You at your core are sinful. You start out and continue at your core to be sinful. Sin is not something you do. Sin is something you are. And so we're not sinful because of what we do. It's the opposite. We do what we do because we're sinful. You track it with me? And so you're born with this sinful nature. You're born this way. And if we stopped there, in one sense, you could say, okay, then, yeah, people are born gay and they can't, they can't help it, born in sin. 
Just like I was born with a propensity to find women other than my wife attractive. Like many men are, I have this propensity towards lust. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. Aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? I was born in sin, but I'm not stuck there. Because look at our text in 1 Corinthians 6. and In verses 9 and 10, he lists these sinful behaviors, all these things that come out of our sinful nature. And in that is the sin of homosexuality. And he goes, hey, if you're living in a way that in a sin that grieves God, as if it doesn't grieve God, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Homosexuality is one of those. And then look what he says in verse 11. He goes, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, some of you were practicing homosexuality, the sin of homosexuality, but you're not stuck there anymore. You were washed, you were transformed, you were changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You thought you were stuck. You thought that was your identity. Listen, beloved, your sin does not define you. Isn't that good news? When you mess up, you're born in sin. You can't help it. Your sin begets sinfulness, sinful behavior. But that sinful behavior, whether it's A, B, C, or D, does not define you. Your identity, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, is found in Jesus Christ. You once were that way, but now you've been changed. You once were dirty, but now you've been washed. You once were stuck in sin, but now... You've been given freedom. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome because God changes us. He transforms us. You absolutely were born in sin, but you are not stuck there anymore. You are not stuck there anymore. And look at, back at 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's just listed these behaviors that point to sinfulness that are not in accordance with the truth, not in accordance with the gospel. And then, and then the apostle Paul kind of goes, but thank God it's not, we're not stuck there. And he starts to talk about himself and he goes, I was persecutor of the church and I, I was messed up and yet God still saved me. And look what he says in verse 15 in First Timothy 1. He goes, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, listen to what I'm about to say. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, Paul says, I am the foremost. Now that's a huge statement, right? That Christ came to save sinners, the worst of which, Paul says, is me. But look what he says next. He goes, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me... As the foremost, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. We're not stuck in sin. I was born with a propensity to find other women, other than my wife, attractive, heterosexual sin, right? But Jesus says I shouldn't act on that. And more than that, though, with this just said is that Christ came to save sinners like me. That he came and went, Jake, I don't, man, you're jacked up. Man, I don't even know how you get up in the morning. I don't know how you sleep at night, but I got some good news. Through my power, through the resurrection power of my son Jesus Christ, you don't have to stay in that sin anymore. You can be transformed. I came, Jake, not to save holy people, but to save sinners. And me as a sinner, I'm going, thank God. Because I got no shot at getting there. I'm stuck without the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm stuck here. So you are born in sin, but you're not stuck there because the power of Christ can transform you. Now listen to this. Paul said the power of Christ transforms you. And then what happens next is that people who are still stuck in that sin, who saw you stuck in your sin, now they're looking at you over here going, what? What happened? 
You used to be right here with me. What happened? You used to be stuck. I'm still stuck, but you're out. What happened? And you go, Jesus happened. And they go, I want some. I want me some Jesus. And then Jesus transforms them as well. That's why you and I are supposed to be different than the world, right? Because the world is supposed to see a difference. And because of that difference, not run to you, but run to Jesus. So yes, you and me, we are born in sin, but we are not stuck there. Praise God, we are not stuck there. Okay, two more truths I want to point out to you from these two passages before we wrap up. And we're not wrapping up, so just, just so you know. Biblical truth number four. Homosexuality is sin, but not superior sin. Homosexuality is sin, but not superior sin. So look back at our text. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Homosexuality is listed, but it's not singled out in the least. It's listed right next to a bunch of other sins, okay? The lawless, disobedient, ungodly, unholy, profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. And just in case you thought this list was exhaustive, he goes, everything else, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. If you've looked at porn, if you've cheated on your spouse, if you've had sex outside of marriage, whether that's an affair with someone else or before or whatever, if you've been disobedient, ungodly, unholy in any way, if you've lied or done anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, then the Bible lumps you in with people who struggle with the sin of homosexuality right alongside those who have committed this sin. And then Add to that 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. I'll read it again. He goes, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just define a couple things so you know what we're talking about. Greedy means that you want something you don't need. Drunkard, that means you get drunk. Swindler, you cheat people. Idolater means that you put something, anything, above your love for God. Now these, these lists, they cover everyone in this room, do they not? They cover everyone in this room. Does anybody, is anybody outside of these two lists? Because Just raise your hand. I got some more books. Just raise your hand. We'll chat afterwards, okay? No, you are totally included in this. Listen, your sin may be different, but it's not, it's not less than homosexuality. It may be different, but it's not less than. Homosexuality is sin, beloved, but it is not superior sin. Now, now this, this has implications for two groups of people. The first group, it's the, the people who struggle with the sin of same-sex attraction or gender confusion. Or maybe they've decided to live in this way and they practice homosexuality in the open. They have identified themselves in this way. Or maybe, maybe they haven't done anything, but they've got these thoughts. And in their heart, they've already said, this is me. I can't change. This is me. I may not tell everybody right now, but this is, this is who I am. God made me this way, and I'm, I'm never going to be any different. And that person, those people, they, they're struggling with guilt. They're struggling with some shame. And they think, there's this, so the Jesus way just isn't for me because I was created, and i got to go this way. And so I, and they're like, I don't think Jesus can forgive me. I, I don't think God will forgive me. I don't think he wants to Forgive me, listen, 
carefully. Homosexuality is sin. There is no getting around that if you believe the Bible to be true. There's no getting around that. But it's not superior to other sin. God can and does forgive the sin of homosexuality just like he does others. Whether your sin is homosexual, your sexual sin is homosexual in nature or heterosexual in nature. Whether you've got greed in your heart or you're a liar, whether you've stolen, gossiped, or caused division, whether you've put yourself above others or others above God, whatever your flavor of sin is, the process is always the same. And God is always welcoming to those who will go through this process. It's called repentance. The true mark of a believer, I should say that differently, the mark of a true believer is ongoing repentance. I talk to you about it all the time because it's pretty important. Ongoing repentance. Repentance just means that you ask God for forgiveness. You confess of the sin that's in your heart. By the way, he already knows that it's there. But you confess that sin. And then repentance is when you change. And you go this way. So you were headed this way. And repentance means you turn and you go another way. That happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it happens through help of those who love you most. And so you go to people who can help you turn that boat around. So that's the first group. You've struggled with the sin of homosexuality. You feel like God won't forgive you, can't forgive you, doesn't want to forgive you. You feel like it's superior to other sins. It's not. Listen, that's a lie from the enemy. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Do not believe it. God will and wants to forgive you. Just go to him. So that's group number one, but there are some of you um, in group number two um, that believe homosexuality is sin. You're with me from the first. You believe homosexuality is sin, but you act like it's superior sin because it's not your sin. You've redacted the truth from the Bible you hold in your hearts that, in your heart that, that all sin is sin. And all sin separates us from God. Homosexuality is not some superior sin. You look down on people who struggle with same-sex attraction or homosexuality as if they're somehow worse than you are. As if your lifestyle sins of lust, idolatry, greed, and materialism are somehow not that big of a deal. Listen, just like group number one, you need to repent. Because that attitude, that viewpoint, that way of living, that is directly rooted in pride and sin. And it will separate you from God just as much as the sin of homosexuality or heterosexual sin or any other sin will. So you need, you need to repent. Okay. So I said there were five truths I wanted to give you today. So one more, um, one more. If what the Bible says is true, that if what we've read so far says is true, if, if, if it's true, then well, the question I get oftentimes is then, then how, how should I, as a Christ follower or as a church person, how should the church, Big C Church, how should we relate to people who have identified as gay or homosexual or whatever or are living in this way or are struggling with same-sex attraction? How am I supposed to relate to them if I believe this to be true? So biblical truth number five, as Christ followers, we relate to those caught in the sin of homosexuality just like Jesus. Everybody say, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus relates to you when you're caught in sin or, de or deceived with love, grace, and truth, okay? 
however you want Jesus to relate to you, or however you know he relates to you in your sin, so you should relate to others in the sin of homosexuality. So look at 1 Timothy 1.5. This is before the passages we've been reading, a couple verses before what we've been reading in, in 1 Timothy 1. So remember, Paul's talking to about false teachers, and he says they don't know what they're talking about. They're coming in trying to use the law of God to beat people up, and that's not right. And he, he says this in in 1 Timothy 1.5, this is one to write on your mirror or memorize or put on your wall or whatever. He says, the aim, Timothy, listen, listen, Timothy. Th- these people are coming in and it's crazy and they're beating people up with the law. But listen, this is important. The aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge, it's, it's love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge, the purpose of this instruction, the, the heart and the motive behind this command, the reason for the law, the aim of our charge is love. It's love. That's why we're in this. Love drives it all. The goal is not condemnation. The purpose is not to maintain some false sense of superiority over people who sin differently than you sin. No, that the motive is not to be conservative or to prove that we believe the Bible is true. That's not the motive. The aim of our charge is love. It's got to be, it's got to be love. And love pushes us to to show grace and speak truth, right? Both. To show grace and speak truth. So because we love this person, we don't condemn them or shun them or stop talking to them. We don't do that. But neither do we withhold life-giving truth from them. Because the commands of God, just like they're for your good and your joy, they are for their good and their joy. And so we don't withhold truth. We do grace and we do truth all at the same time, right? So if, you're, if your question is, how do we relate to those who are stuck in, in this sin or that sin, a sin that's different than your sin, just treat them like you hope Jesus will treat you in the midst of your struggles. Love, grace, and truth. Church, the aim of our charge is love. It's got to be love. All right, I've given you five biblical truths. So I'm confident they're clearly in the Bible, um, the Bible you hold in your hands. Um, but maybe, maybe likely, they've been redacted from the Bible you actually believe, the one you hold in your heart. And so if that's you, this may be difficult. This may be a, a difficult sermon to swallow today. This may be difficult, all right? You may be left with this difficult decision related to pillar number one we start with. We started with, do I, do I really believe the Bible is true? Do I really believe the Bible is true? Because if I do, then there's no denying it. No matter no matter what, there's, there's no denying it. It's clear in here. No matter what, how many mo's come in and try to say it's line number three, I know it's line number one. If I really believe the Bible is true, then there's no denying this. And that truth, that, that truth may, may cost you something. There are implications, right, to accepting the Bible as true, to believing it. It may cost you something. But when when you think about the cost of accepting the Bible as true, that's when you run to pillar number two that we started with. That all of God's commands are for my good. So do I really believe that all of God's commands are for my good? Because if I do, then I run to them no matter what. Whatever the cost, I run to them. In confusion, I run to them. In tears, I run to them. 
because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're true and that the God behind them is good and his commands are for my good, for my joy. So I run to them. Let's end this way. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to talk to you for a moment. Just try to get kind of in a space, even in the midst of a group of people. The worship team is going to come out. and I just want to end as, as a pastor. So that's, that's what I am. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a researcher or a debater or a politician. And, and so just close your eyes and bow your heads and just try to, try to get into a moment here. Um, but I'm, I'm not a debater or moralist or anything. I'm a pastor, which means that the core of who I am is a love for people. That's why I do this. It's because I love people. It's not, the core of who I am is not a love for law or doctrine or truth or theology. I love those things, but that's not at the core of who I am. Um, at my core is a love for you. So, so listen, beloved. My heart breaks to see you run towards things that in the end will not satisfy you. They will not bring everlasting joy. My heart breaks to see you run after God's stuff rather than him to choose the gift over the giver. Listen, I'm not here to change your ideology or convince you with cleverness, but to try to lead you to life to lead you to the only place that you actually can be satisfied, to the cross, to Jesus. So my heart is to see you whole and healed, not in that you're a better person because that's kind of a silly game, but in that you found the only person, the only way to be whole, that you found Christ, the only one who can fill the void that's in your heart, that you found the healer, the only one who can really heal you. That's my heart. Listen, we're all on this journey towards truth, this quest for truth. And it's good to ask questions. It's good to wrestle with hard topics. That's all good. But if you get nothing else today, get this. Truth is not an answer. It's not a statement or a law. It's not a way of thinking. Truth is not a policy or a political bent. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. If you're searching for truth, you find it in Jesus. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction, you need Jesus. If you're not, you need Jesus. If you're struggling with lust in your heart and your mind, heterosexual or homosexual, you, you need Jesus. If you're not, you need Jesus. If you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before marriage and you're having sex before marriage, you need Jesus. If you're not doing those things, you need Jesus. If you're mad or offended or bitter or greedy or you get drunk, you need Jesus. If you're not doing that stuff, guys, Guess what? You need Jesus. You, you need Jesus. You don't need a way. You need the way. You don't need a truth. You need the truth. You don't need a life. You need the life. You need Jesus. And, and listen, that's what we're offering today. I'm not offering a belief to follow, fall in line with or something to agree with me about or, or anything like that. I, I'm just trying to offer truth that's found in Jesus Christ. And so if you're in this room and you have yet to give your life over to the way, the truth, and the life Jesus Christ, if you have yet to submit your life to him, if you have yet to call him Lord of your life and Savior, if you have yet to go, I need Jesus and I want him to transform me. I'm a sinner. I'm stuck. But by the power of Christ, the resurrection power of Christ, I can be different. I can be transformed. If you have yet to call out to Jesus and ask him to transform you like the Apostle Paul was talking about, the chief of sinners, the foremost sinner. If you have yet to do that, don't leave here without doing it. 
You don't need holy water. You don't need a certain incantation to make it work. You just need in your heart to go, God, I'm stuck in sin and I need to be transformed. I believe that you are the truth, that you are the life. I believe that. So God, help me be transformed. Holy Spirit, transform me. You just need to say, God, I give you my life. I give you everything. My ideology, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me to change these things. It's going to cost me some friends. I'm going to have to walk back some statements, some stances that I've made. But I want you more than I want that stuff. So ask him to transform you. You can do that right now, right where you sit. Let me just pray for you. Lord, I pray for those in this room who have yet to give their life over to you completely. I pray that right now, seeds of your gospel truth would find in the hearts of many good soil. That it would sink deep, that it would take root, and that it would immediately bear some fruit. The fruit of salvation. God, I pray right now that lives are transformed. I pray for that person who's struggling with guilt and shame because they're stuck in sin. They thought it was superior sin. They thought it was sin that can't be walked back, that can't be forgiven. I pray for that person thinking that right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your truth would reign supreme in their minds, in their hearts, that the lie of the enemy would be erased right now in Jesus' name. And I pray that they would fall at your feet and find your grace sufficient and your kindness sure. I pray for that person, God. I thank you, God, that there is no dark corner that we can run to. There is no dark cave of sin that we could get stuck in that your grace does not reach to. There is no place we can go in our hearts, our minds, or in this world where your arm, your arm of grace and salvation is too short to reach. So I thank you, God, that there is no sin that we cannot come back from, no mistake that you can't make right. I pray, Jesus, that we in this room would lean into that truth, lean into your grace and your mercy shown on the cross of Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. We give all this into your hand. We accept your truth. Let us be a people who accept your truth as it is and change our lives, deal with the implications based on that rather than trying to change your truth so that we don't have to change ourselves. We love you, Jesus. We give this all into your hands and we trust you with it. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May the Bible you hold in your heart match the one in your hands. May your identity be found in Jesus, not in the sin you struggle with. And no matter what kind of sin it is, may you be quick to repent of yours and quick to show grace to other people's. As always, my challenge to you or encouragement to you is that you would talk this over with a life group. If you're not in a life group yet, you have yet to get plugged into Great Oaks, we would love for you to get plugged in. Stop at Connection Central. We'll get you going in that. And as always, don't let this stop with you. If you've been helped to take your next step towards God, be a Jesus follower who helps other people take their next steps towards God. God bless you. If you want to give your life to Christ today, we've got a uh, and I've decided packet. Our prayer workers have that. They'd love to just hand that to you. If you want to know more about giving your life to Christ, make sure you stop over there. If you need prayer for anything at all, stop at our prayer uh, on the side and get prayer today. But I'll see you next week for the last week in our redacted series. God bless. Sing with us.